Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Here to the book of Luke, the New Testament gospel of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. We're going to see here, fitting in the theme with Veterans Day and with soldiers in our military, we're going to see a passage about a centurion. A centurion is a Roman soldier who commands 100, he's an officer who has 100 soldiers under him. So we're going to see in our Bibles this morning how the Lord healed this centurion's servant. So that's where you want to turn and you follow along in your Bibles. In Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. On June 6, 1944, there was a group of soldiers led by a man named Colonel James Rudder. And Colonel James Rudder had 225 soldiers under his command. And they were going to be that first group that would storm the beaches of Normandy, France and begin the invasion of Europe to push back the Nazis. And he was the lead colonel with the lead group. And they were going to take this strategic uh, patch of land on the beach of Normandy. And the name of this little patch of land was called Point du Oc. In fact, I have a map of it here. We have a map. This is, this is Normandy, France, and that little tip that sticks out. In 1944, the Nazis were right there. And we were, they're going to come by boat from the sea. These are the elite group of army rangers. They're coming onto the, from, the, from the sea, and they're going to uh, come onto this beach. Now, on this beach are cliffs. And they're 100 feet high. So the Nazis are on top of the beach, obviously, and they're protecting the land right there. They felt like, because we have a 100-foot cliff below us, no one is going to come up the cliff. They had anti-aircraft all around them, so it would have been dangerous to fly an airplane into this area. So... Colonel James Rudder, he had a group of soldiers, and they even called them Rudder's Rangers. These 225 men came on a little boat, came on to the beach during low tide, and began to scale that cliff. In fact, I have a picture of the cliff there. They're going up. This is a reenactment here of where they went, right there. And as they were going up those cliffs... The Nazis are holding machine guns and throwing grenades down at them. So this was, in many ways, the most dangerous mission because the uh, success rate was very low because it was so dangerous. And what's amazing about this story, of these 225 soldiers that were part of Rudder's Rangers. 75 of them were killed. 152 were wounded. And 38 are listed as missing, which meant mostly they got washed out in sea and we never found their bodies. So overall, the casualty rate was 70%. 
So only 30% of the soldiers, of Rudder's Rangers, actually went through uh, safely this operation. And that little patch of land was actually the very first piece of land of Europe that the Allied forces took that began the successful uh, take-back and push-back of the Nazis. And, the, and we started taking Europe back with that little patch of land sticking out from Normandy, France. And what amazing is uh, Colonel James Rudder, he was injured. He did not die, but he was injured during this um, uh, um, operation. And it was told of him that when he first was given command that he had to lead this group going into this mission, he could not believe it. He thought it was uh, unbelievable that they would ask his group to go lead the charge into such a deadly mission. It was said that he made the statement that three old women with a broom could have kept the soldiers off those cliffs because you're walking, you're going up cliffs and they're shooting machine guns down at you, straight down. It would have been easy, but with the grace of God and with a, a wonderful military, the United States scaled those cliffs and began the pushback there in Normandy, France, and taking back Europe. And, and, and that was the beginning of the end of World War II. It occurred right there. Now, I share this story because when... James Rudder got the news that he was to lead this operation, it would have been very easily for him to gripe, complain, and think, this is, this is awful. This is a suicide mission you are asking us to go on to with this. But he had a group of brave soldiers that believed in the Lord, that believed in their mission, believed in their country, and they took the challenge. What we're about to see here in our Bibles is that it is dangerous for us as Christians to have negative thoughts and negative thinking and doubts and lack of belief and faith in the Lord. If God asks you to do something, if God leads you on something very challenging, even something that seems impossible, even something that seems with a low success rate, a diagnosis, uh, family problems, uh, financial problems, whatever it would be. And the Lord's guiding you through this season. We need to be able to have the trust in the Lord. It says, God, You are going to guide me. You are going to lead me. You're going to take me through this. Even though, humanly, it doesn't make any sense. Lord, I am going to trust You. And that's what we're going to see here in our Bibles and the goal of this morning's message is for us to make sure, God, we don't have any negative thoughts, any doubting thoughts about our Lord. Do you know, one of the great temptations for us is we might not go around saying that we, we don't trust the Lord or we doubt the Lord, but our actions prove otherwise. And we're going to see here, this, this soldier, he, his actions proved that he was about the only one whom trusted in the Lord. And the Lord answered his prayer, and the Lord affirmed this man here 
of having the greatest faith in all of Israel. Of all the people whom Jesus had met, he actually said, this guy here, he has the greatest faith. He's the one whom I look up to. So I want you to follow along here in your Bibles. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. God's Word says, When he had concluded saying this, all the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. What is ironic about this statement here? We have a Roman centurion. This man is a, what we call a Gentile. Capernaum is a Jewish town that was the base for Jesus' ministry for three years. The Jewish elders and the Jewish leaders it just referenced here, they did not like Jesus. They did not believe in Jesus. And they certainly didn't think this man had the authority to go around healing people. They just, they were skeptical of who he was. But because this, during this time, the, the Jewish people were under Roman authority, and the centurion is the captain of guard of this little town, the, the Jewish folks have to listen to the man. They just had to. So he, the, the, the centurion, he finds out, look, my servant who helps me is about to die. And I hear there's a faith healer in this little town. Well, let's just go ahead and bring the faith healer to me. Let's go find him. Go, let's go see if he can do healing. So he's summoning the Jewish leaders who don't even like Jesus. And they have to go to Jesus to say, Jesus, I'm so sorry, but the man we work for would like to see you because he needs you to heal his servant. So these men, these Jewish elders who were going to get Jesus, they at all did not believe. They at all did not want to do this mission. They had great doubt in the Lord. So look what happens here. Verse 4. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with Him earnestly saying, He is worthy for you to grant this. Because He loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Look at what qualifies this man a healing. He, they, look at the works-based faith right there. Why should Jesus heal this little servant? Because He loves our nation. He loves our flag. And not only that, He built us a new church. See this nice building we have? It was built by the Roman centurion. He's very generous to us. So Jesus, why don't you just come along, heal the servant, and we'll just go back. A works-based answer. And I tell you, a lot of times we think this way. We think, God, I am worthy of a healing. I'm worthy of an answer to prayer of this miracle because I love America and because I give money to church. And I go to church. So because I do these two things, Lord, you should do something for me. That is what's occurring right here. But that's not why at all Jesus is going to heal this servant. It's not because of our love for a nation. It's not because we, we donated to the building fund. Jesus went with them, 
And when they were not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, in, in Jewish, it's not in the law, but in Jewish thinking and in Jewish rules, these were additional rules that they had set. A Gentile, uh, a Gentile's home, a Jewish person could not go into a Gentile's home. It would make you what they called defiled and unclean. So for Jesus to walk into a Gentile's home, which is what a Roman is, that would defile Jesus. And the centurion knows this. He's very aware. But he's also aware that Jesus has great authority and power. And the Bible tells us here, in verse 7, that is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. He sent people to Jesus. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doesn't. The centurion is saying, I have this authority with 100 soldiers under me. And they do what I say. Jesus, you too have the same authority. I've heard about you. I know what you're capable of doing. You just say the word. And the healing will happen. What great faith. Folks, do we approach our prayer life like that? Do we come to worship and say, I'm going to say the word. Lord, I believe that you can perform the miracle. Lord, I believe you can answer this prayer. I believe you can save this lost person, this family member. Because the words of Jesus have power. There is power in the name of Jesus. That's why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. We have authority. It's by the name. Book of Acts tells us by the name of Jesus, people are saved. That's why people are offended. That's why Roy, that's why Roy shared, hey, I believe what I believe. And as he ages, he's realizing people just aren't going to agree with him. That is a fact in our world. You make a stand for the Lord. And when folks disagree with you, if what your stand is biblical, in fact, they will disagree with you. And you can't live your life being bothered by that. This man here knew Jesus had an authority that this centurion also has. But Jesus' authority is one where He can speak and a miracle will be performed. And when Jesus heard this in verse 9, He was amazed at Him. This is the first time in the book of Luke that the Bible says Jesus was amazed. Do you want to amaze Jesus? Do you want Jesus to be uh, impressed with your faith? This is what did it. What did it was this belief that, Lord, I know You have the power and the authority to do this. No matter what, what challenges before me, Lord, no matter what obstacle is in front of me, God, You can do it. Lord, You can bring victory. Lord, You can help me scale those cliffs. And it says here, He turns to the crowd following Him. I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had 
been sent returned to the house, they found a servant in good health. He turns around to this crowd following and says, you know what, I've been walking around for all these years here in Israel, and I still have not found the type of faith that this Gentile Roman has. Jesus is commending his faith. And folks, this man is lost. This is like a UK professor who's a humanist. All of a sudden, is affirmed by the Lord for having great faith in Christ. And you look at them, and you go, well, this wouldn't be someone I would expect. But the Lord saw inside this man's heart and says, you believe. I'm going to put up here on the screen several negative things that we can find ourselves thinking about God. And when we go through these, this is how we find ourselves thinking negatively about God and we don't even realize it. These are seeds of doubt. The centurion did not do these things we're about to list. And I think the principle for us is we want to have the same type faith that when we're asked as veterans and soldiers to go into a, a terrible mission, a challenging mission, or we are living our Christian life and we have maybe setbacks. We had elections this week. And for many folks, they were disappointed. They weren't excited. I was disappointed. Amendment 2 didn't pass. It failed. Many, maybe, some of you, maybe some of you were excited. I don't know. But wherever you are at, you can go through this week and you think, gosh, this is not what I thought. This is not what I was planning. This isn't how I voted. This didn't work my goals. And it's easy for us to allow our circumstances to all of a sudden it creeps into our life. This thinking, and it, it attacks the character of God. See, we have to remember God is good. He has attributes. God is holy. God is perfect. What God does is good for us. And what, what we, if we aren't careful, we will find ourselves looking at our situations that surround us. And our, our thinking becomes negative towards God. So let's look at this. What, what does negative thinking about God look like? Number one, it's anger. Are you angry? Do you find yourself mad? When I say mad, th think about if you go grocery shopping, you're just mad how much stuff costs. Folks, that's why our th I believe our Thanksgiving dinner is going to be huge tonight because it, meat costs a lot of money. It's expensive to eat. You just come up to church here and eat. If you find yourself angry at the price of stuff, you find yourself angry with family situations, angry at your spouse, angry at your children, and you're just mad, angry at church, angry at me, well, you're just mad. You have to step back and say, God, why do I feel this way? Why am I angry all the time? Listen, the Lord tells us He is good. If you are a saved, born-again Christian, Folks, it does not matter what happens here on earth. Oh, it does matter. But our salvation, when you are saved, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, it tells us we experience eternal security. Our circumstances on earth do not cause the Lord to say, Daniel, I can no longer save you. You are no longer going to get to go into heaven. You are no longer a child of God. The power of God saves us 
forever, for eternity. No matter what happens to the United States. I love our nation. We're proud to be in a church that loves our nation. But the Bible does not promise the United States forever. We, we don't know what our nation holds, the future. But folks, our home, we are citizens of heaven. We talked about this last week. We're, first and foremost, our citizenship is up there. And we have to remember, no matter what happens down here, we live for the Lord. There are, there are circumstances that we cannot change. And why would I get angry and upset about it and affect all the people in my home and around here when what can I do? All I can do is trust the Lord more and more. Difficult days force us to trust more and more in God. It doesn't get better if you get angry about it. Knowing all, all you're doing is, uh, is, is hurting others through anger. I tell you this, there's many folks who have seeds of anger in their life. Maybe some here this morning. And I tell you, really it's rooted in your disappointment of God. Something did not go your way. Whether that's a failed marriage, whether that's your, your child or your grandchild has addiction problems, whether it's a, a job loss, and you take that out on the Lord. And the Lord does not want us going through life having those type of th thoughts towards Him. We are not to get angry with God. God is good for us. We have experienced salvation from Him. Number two, negative thinking of God is focusing on ourselves. This is selfishness. When we view the Lord through our lens and saying, Lord, if I'm having a good day, I'm happy towards You. If I'm having a bad day, I'm sad towards You. That's not how the Lord wants us to view Him. This servant right here, who was dying, he had a master, a centurion, who just believed the Lord. The Lord didn't. He, the centurion never even met Jesus. He just says, "You just send the message. Just send the word, and he'll be healed." He had that type of faith. His total focus was Jesus has the healing power. He didn't ask for medicine. He didn't ask for uh, anything from the Lord. He just says, God, I know You can speak. Just like I can speak to my soldiers and they obey, You can speak and this My servant will be healed. So Lord, I'm asking You to do it. He focused on the Lord. And folks, selfishness, when we're thinking about ourselves, it's causing us all of a sudden to no longer think about the, about the Lord. We can get in a Debbie Downer position where you whine and moan about everything. You just go through life griping and complaining. Who wants to be around that type of person? Does complaining help anything? Does it make anything better? You know, about a week or so ago, uh, Sherry and I were running. You know, we run at night. If you see two people with these light-up neon vests, that's us, so we don't get hit by a car, running up and down Man of War and Clay's Mill Road. Running here in our community, after we put the kids to bed, it's our only time we get to, 9 o'clock at night. We're doing this, and Sherry's knee starts hurting, and she started complaining about it. And we get back to the house, and I said, Sherry, that, and she's, we're not, Sherry and I realized we, we just can't complain. There's no point in complaining about anything. We just can't do it. I mean, just life moves on. What good does it do, me griping, complaining, same with her? I said, Sherry, you know, you are complaining about your knee. That's really rare for you to do that. And she said, you're right. That's, that's not like me, because she was in pain for, for hurting on her knee for that. And folks, for us, 
when, you, when your spouse, when your children, when your grandchildren, when they are focusing on themselves, they will find themselves being complainers, gripers, and talking about the bad things that happen. That does not help our situations. Our focus, just like on this man right here, he knew, Lord, I need you. I want to illustrate what happens too. Don't turn there in your Bible, but Job had a wife who complained. In the Old Testament book of Job, in Job chapter 2, I want to read this for you. It's up on the screen. Chapter 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Satan comes and tests Job. He goes through two different tests. Job loses everything. You all know the story. And look what it picks up on the second, second hit for him. Number 7, it says, So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. What a sad state. He didn't say anything bad. He's just scraping himself with broken pottery because he has scabs all over him. And his wife turns to him and he says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Do you know what that meant? He said, Job, why don't you speak up? Like, why don't you say something bad? Like, look how horrible your life is. And you're still this righteous man. Job's not complaining. Job's not griping. Job's not even focusing on himself. He's actually scraping himself to get some relief because the painful soil, souls hurts so bad. And look what she says. She just looked at her husband and says, curse God and die. That is what it looks like when you focus on yourself. I have nothing to live for. It's over. And then look what he says. I wouldn't speak to my wife this way, but you speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only God, good from God and not adversity? Throughout all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. He said, ma'am, you are being foolish. We should not talk about God this way. You don't go around saying, because my circumstances and my pain and affliction, and I'm not complaining about it, I'm still holding on to my integrity. That's what it meant. He was still being a righteous, noble man as he was walking through the most painful experience in his life. Even his wife turned against him. She turned against God. But Job refused to allow that to destroy his faith. That's an example for us. We hold on to our integrity even during times of adversity. Number three, what happens? What does negative thinking about God look like? Prayerlessness. When you've given up praying, when you find yourself no longer on your knees, when you no longer have your prayer journal, when you're no longer going to the Lord, asking the Lord to help, to heal, to make better this situation. By you not praying, you are telling God, Lord, I'm not interested. Lord, I don't believe. Lord, that's not for me. Lord, I've given up on you. Prayerlessness is when we have given up on God. And folks, this man here, this centurion we read about, he's begging the Lord, Lord, just, you just say the word. I believe you can do it. 
When you're no longer praying about something, that means you have accepted the answer. Folks, that's worth writing down. When you no longer pray about something, whatever it is you're praying about, that means you have accepted the answer. And a lot of times the answer is not what you want. You've just given up. Say, this is how it's going to be. I have accepted this is what my life, my issue is going to be. Fourthly and finally, this is what happens when, when negative thinking about God. It's a belief that, folks, it's over. We no longer believe God can do it. No matter how challenging it is, you have accepted this is over. This is how it's going to be from now on. Lord, I don't believe you can help in this situation. And folks, when you get at this point, you have told the Lord, you have accepted whatever's happened to your circumstances and said it's over. The amazing thing about, about Job's story, at the end of Job, Job just has, as you all know, the story of Job. He has these friends who were not very helpful. In fact, nobody in Job's life except the Lord was very helpful. But Job is restored at the end of his life. He, had, he was the most blessed man on earth. The man truly lost everything. He had these friends that came to give him some coaching and guidance, which did not help. And then at the end, the Lord re blessed him again and restored and brought his family all back and gave him what he had lost, even more so because he was a man who held on to his integrity. He did not accept it's over. For us, no matter how dark of a season you are in right now, no matter what the Lord is, is guiding you through, we do not believe that the Lord cannot help you, help us, help our church, help our country, help this world get saved. Believe it's over. We, we, you never throw in the towel with the Lord. We have a Lord. We have a God who can heal, who can restore, and most importantly, folks, He can save. Do you know of a lost person do you know of someone who does not know Jesus? I hope you're praying for their salvation. Expecting the Lord to answer. Our greatest days are ahead of us. You have to believe that. We are one step closer to the second coming. We're one step closer to being citizens of heaven. Folks, when we pass away, and your funeral, and your body is right here below me, and I'm standing up here sharing some words from this Bible right here about your life. You will not be here. You will be in the presence of Jesus. The Bible tells us that to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. In our however many years we had here on earth, we live daily for the Lord. Why would I have any negative thoughts, doubtful thoughts, discouraging thoughts about the Lord? The one whom I trust with my life forever. And who will save my life. And who has saved my life. So this morning I ask you, tying this in with Veterans Day, looking at the man here in Scripture, this soldier who Jesus looked at and go, my goodness, you've got the greatest faith. I haven't even found someone with greater faith than this Roman centurion. Folks, I hope I'm that way. I want to be like this soldier, this commander, this officer. I want to be able to see, just like 
rudders, rangers, when you're faced with the challenge of a cliff and people are going to try to kill you. And I want to tell you, our world is just like we're going up a cliff. It's challenging. It's difficult. And folks, if we don't have a belief, a rock-solid belief in Jesus Christ, a prayer life that is completely dependent upon the Lord, a focus on the Lord, we don't allow negative emotions such as anger to cause us to just ruin everything else for those around us, you can do it. The Lord looks at our faith and says, wow, if that's what you believe, Mr. Centurion, if you just want me to say the word, you're right. You don't need to come into my house. I'll just say the word and your servant can be healed afar. God can do the same for us. And this morning I ask you, I'm challenging you, and the Lord is challenging you. Lord, what, are my, what is my thought life like? Is it one that I believe you, you can do it? I still have a rock-solid confidence in the Lord. Folks, an election, a diagnosis, or a disappointment should not discourage or negatively impact your faith in the Lord. It should not do it. We are rock-solid in our belief. No matter how bad it gets, we trust in God. This morning, we'll have our invitation to respond to God. I just spoke there about trusting in God. And some of you need to trust your life with Jesus Christ. If you do not have the assurance that when you pass away right now, that you're going to go straight to heaven, you need to get saved today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Not yesterday. It's today. And you want to make that decision where you say, Lord, I want to give my life, I want to trust my life into Your hands. I'm tired of living a, a, a life of doubts, a living a life of disappointment, of discouragement. Lord, we are, we are a time for as believers, we are thankful for what You're doing in our life. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. <clears throat> David Dell, Miss Gale is going to lead us in our song. I'm going to be standing up front right here. And I want you to come take my hand. I'm going to invite some of our deacons to come forward too. And assist me. You come take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. Folks, this is also our time. If you want to join Broadway Baptist Church, we are a Bible-believing, faith-filled church that you need to join and be a part of God's family and God's household. A church that is rooted on the Word of God. You make that decision. This is our time to respond to God. We're going to sing the great hymn, Just As I Am, 445 in your songbook. David is going to lead us in our songs.